Long history. Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 15. Topiawari and the War for Women. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Long History. This is the place where we take source documents from history and split them up into chunks of about 10 minutes. And we're covering a bit of an eccentric document here. It's by Sir Walter Raleigh himself and it's about his search for the legendary El Dorado. This is the 15th part of an 18 part series. So we're well into this document now. But if you haven't listened to them already, I'm sure the other episodes are just a few clicks and taps away. Don't forget to subscribe to be informed when the remaining episodes are released. If you can't wait for more episodes in this series, however, don't forget there's plenty of other documents here on Long History. Some world famous events and some documents covering less famous events, but just as interesting. So as this episode begins, we've heard a lot from Raleigh. We saw how defensive he was in those early episodes. We've heard about his trip across the Atlantic to Trinidad, and then we've heard Raleigh give us many tales about previous attempts to explore the area. This was all before he began his own journey proper up the Orinoco River, and throughout it all, Raleigh is making his case for copying the Spanish and conquering and colonising the area. The journey, however, that he's supposedly describing, well, he wanders up and down the Orinoco River and its tributaries, gives us lots of descriptions, but there is a sense in all of Raleigh's very entertaining digressions that despite what Raleigh says, on his exploratory voyage he didn't actually find much. In this episode, faced with bad weather and high rivers, Raleigh goes back to see one of the few apparent friends he's made on this journey, a leader of one group of people called Topiawari. We've already been told in a previous episode how this old man's nephew was the former leader of the area, but he was captured and killed by the Spanish. This act led to Topiawari becoming their leader and to the English being given the ability to make friends with these people. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Here, however, to all intents and purposes, Raleigh's voyage comes to an end. We'll see how and why in this episode. So this is Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 15, Topiawari and the War for Women. Between Dorney and Beta lieth a famous island in Orinoque, now called Barakan, for above Meta it is not known by the name of Orinoque, which is called Athule, Cataract of Ature, beyond which ships of burden cannot pass by reason of a most forcible overfall and current of water, but in the eddy all small vessels may be drawn even to Peru itself. But to speak of more of these rivers without the description were but tedious, and therefore I will leave the rest to the description. This river of Orinoque is navigable for ships little less than 1,000 miles, and for lesser vessels near 2,000. By it, as aforesaid, Peru, Nuevo Reino and Popayán may be invaded. It also leadeth to the great empire of Inga, and to the provinces of Amapaya and Anebas, which abound in gold. His branches of Casnero, Manta, Caura, descend from the middle land and valley which lieth between the eastern province of Peru and Guyana, and it falls into the sea between Maranon and Trinidad in two degrees and a half. All of which, your honours, shall better perceive in the general description of Guyana, Peru, Nuevo Reino, the kingdom of Popayán and Rodas, with the province of Venezuela, to the bay of Uraba behind Cartagena, westward, and to Amazon, southward. 
While we lay at anchor on the coast of Canuri, and had taken knowledge of all the nations upon the head and branches of this river, and had found out so many several people, which were enemies to the Epureme and to the new conquerors, I thought it time lost to linger any longer in that place, especially for that the fury of Orinoque began daily to threaten us with dangers in our return. For no half-day passed, but the river began to rage and overflow very fearfully, and the rains came down in terrible showers and gusts in great abundance. And withal our men began to cry out for want of shift, for no man had place to bestow any other apparel than that which he wear on his back, and that was thoroughly washed on his body, for the most part ten times in one day. And we had now been well near a month every day passing to the westward farther and farther from our ships. We therefore turned towards the east, and spent the rest of the time in discovering the river towards the sea, which we had not viewed, and which was most material. The next day following we left the mouth of Caroli, and arrived again at the port of Morakito, where we were before. For passing down the stream, we went without labour and against the wind little less than a hundred miles a day. As soon as I came to anchor, I sent away one for old Topiawari, with whom I much desired to have further conference, and also to deal with him, for some one of his country, to bring with us into England, as well to learn the language, as to confer with all by the way, the time being now spent of any longer stay there. Within three hours after my messenger came to him, he arrived also, and with him such a rabble of all sorts of people, and everyone loaden with somewhat, as if it had been a great market or fair in England, and our hungry companies clustered thick and threefold among their baskets, every one laying hand on what he liked. After he had rested a while in my tent, I shut out all but ourselves and my interpreter, and told him that I knew that both the Apureme and the Spaniards were enemies to him, his country and nations, that the one had conquered Guyana already, and the other sought to regain the same from them both. And therefore, I desired him to instruct me what he could, both of the passage into the golden parts of Guyana, and to the civil towns and apparelled people of Inga. He gave me an answer to this effect. First, that he could not perceive that I meant to go onward towards the city of Manoa, for neither the time of year served, neither could he perceive any sufficient numbers for such an enterprise and if I did, I was sure with all my company to be buried there, for the emperor was of that strength, as that many times so many men more were too few. Besides, he gave me this good counsel and advised me to hold it in mind, as for himself he knew he could not live till my return, that I should not offer by any means hereafter to invade the strong parts of Guyana without the help of all those nations which were also their enemies for that it was impossible without those, either to be conducted, to be victualled, or to have aught carried with us, our people not being able to endure the march in so great heat and travail, unless the borderers gave them help, to cart with them both their meat and furniture. For he remembered that in the plains of Macureguarai, three hundred Spaniards were overthrown, who were tired out, and had none of the borderers to their friends. But, meeting their enemies as they passed the frontier, 
were environed on all sides, and the people, setting the long dry grass on fire, smothered them, so as they had no breath to fight, nor could discern their enemies for the great smoke. He told me further that four days' journey from his town was Makureguarai, and that those were the next and nearest of the subjects of Inga and of the Apureme, and the first town of apparelled and rich people, and that all those plates of gold which were scattered among the borderers and carried to other nations far and near came from the said Makureguarai, and were there made, but that those of the land within were far finer, and were fashioned after the images of men, beasts, birds and fishes. I asked him whether he thought that those companies that I had there with me were sufficient to take that town or no. He told me that he thought they were. I then asked him whether he would assist me with guides and some companies of his people to join with us. He answered that he would go himself with all the borderers if the river did remain fordable upon this condition that I would leave with him till my return again fifty soldiers which he undertook to victual. I answered that I had not above fifty good men in all there. The rest were labourers and rowers, and that I had no provision to leave with them of powder, shot, apparel, or aught else, and that without those things necessary for their defence, they should be in danger of the Spaniards in my absence, who I knew would use the same measures towards mine that I offered them at Trinidad. And although upon the motion, Captain Caulfield, Captain Greenville, my nephew John Gilbert, and diverse others were desirous to stay, yet I was resolved that they must needs have perished. For Berrio expected daily a supply out of Spain, and looked also hourly for his son to come down from Nuevo Reino de Granada with many horse and foot, and had also in Valencia, in the Caracas, two hundred horse ready to march and I could not have spared above forty, and had not any store at all of powder, lead, or match to have left with them, nor any other provision, either spade, pickaxe, or aught else to have fortified withal. When I had given him reason that I could not at this time leave him in such a company, he then desired me to forbear him and his country for that time. For he assured me, that I should be no sooner three days from the coast but those Epureme would invade him, and destroy all the remain of his people and friends, if he should any way either guide us or assist us against them. He further alleged that the Spaniards sought his death, and as they had already murdered his nephew Moraquito, lord of that province, so they had him seventeen days in a chain before he was king of the country and led him like a dog from place to place, until he had paid an hundred plates of gold and diverse chains of spleen stones for his ransom. And now, since he became owner of that province, that they had many times laid wait to take him, and that they would be now more vehement when they should understand of his conference with the English. And because, said he, they would the better displant me if they cannot lay hands on me, they have gotten a nephew of mine called Iparacano, whom they have christened Don Juan, and his son Don Pedro, whom they have also apparelled and armed, by whom they seek to make a party against me in mine own country. He hath also taken to wife one Luiana, of a strong family which are borderers and neighbours, and myself now being old and in the hands of death, 
I'm not able to travel nor to shift as when I was of younger years. He therefore prayed us to defer it till next year, when he would undertake to draw in all the borderers to serve us, and then, also, it would be more seasonable to travel. For at this time of the year we should not be able to pass any river. The waters were and would be so grown ere our return. He farther told me that I could not desire so much to invade Makuraguarai and the rest of Guyana, but that the borderers would be more vehement than I, for he yielded for a chief cause that in the wars with the Epureme they were spoiled of their women, and that their wives and daughters were taken from them, so as for their own parts they desired nothing of the gold or treasure for their labours, but only to recover women from the Epureme for he farther complained very sadly, as it had been a matter of great consequence, that whereas they were wont to have ten or twelve wives, they were now enforced to content themselves with three or four, and that the lords of the Epureme had fifty or a hundred, and in truth they wore more for women than either for gold or dominion. For the lords of countries desire many children of their own bodies to increase their races and kindreds, for in those consist their greatest trust and strength. Diverse of his followers afterwards desired me to make haste again, that they might sack the Epureme, and I asked them of what? They answered, of their women for us, and their gold for you. For the hope of those many of women they more desire the war than either for gold or for the recovery of their ancient territories. For what, between the subjects of Inga and the Spaniards, those frontiers are grown thin of people, and also great numbers have fled to other nations farther off for fear of the Spaniards. After I received this answer of the old man, we fell into consideration whether it had been of better advice to have entered Makureguarai and to have begun a war upon Inga at this time, yea or no, if the time of the year and all things else had sorted. For mine own part, as we were not able to march it for the rivers, neither had any such strength as was requisite, and durst not abide the coming of the winter, or to tarry any longer from our ships, I thought it were evil counsel to have attempted it at that time, although the desire for gold will answer many objections. But it would have been, in mine opinion, an utter overthrow to the enterprise, if the same should be hereafter by Her Majesty attempted. For then... Whereas now they have heard we were enemies to the Spaniards, and were sent by Her Majesty to relieve them, they would as good cheap have joined with the Spaniards at our return, as to have yielded unto us, when they had proved that we came both for one errand, and that both sought but to sack and spoil them. But as yet, our desire for gold, or our purpose of invasion, is not known to them of the Empire, and it is likely that if Her Majesty undertake the enterprise, they will rather submit themselves to her obedience than to the Spaniards, of whose cruelty both themselves and the borders have already tasted. And, therefore, till I had known Her Majesty's pleasure, I would rather have lost the sack of one or two towns, although they might have been very profitable, than to have defaced or endangered the future hope of so many millions and the great, good and rich trade which England may be possessed of thereby. I am assured now 
that they will all die, even to the last man, against the Spaniards, in the hope of our succour and return. Whereas, otherwise, if I had either lain hands on the borderers, or ransomed the lords as Berrio did, or invaded the subjects of Inga, I know all had been lost for hereafter. So what this episode has amounted to, ultimately, is Raleigh giving his reasons for bringing the expedition to an end. It's quite a convincing reason for ending his incursion into the interior of South America, rather than battling against the local people and risking creating enmity with them, he chooses a more strategic alternative. He would leave them with a good impression of the English, letting the Spanish worsen their reputation with these people, so that the English could be seen as a more friendly alternative. It's reasonably convincing, but let's not forget it's also convenient for Raleigh. In this way, essentially, he can give up and go home with his dignity intact. In the meantime, there are telling details, however, such as in the line, but as yet our desire for gold, or our purpose of invasion, is not known to them of the Empire. So we can see that Raleigh isn't particularly saying that the English are any better behaved than the Spanish. It's just that they have, so far, managed to hide the fact that they want to invade and conquer these people. Now, although Raleigh is thinking in terms of turning back now, he still has to return and there's lots more to see, so the journey is in fact far from over. And in the next episode, Raleigh reports seeing whole mountains of crystal. The wealth of this area is almost unbelievable. Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History. Please, before you go, don't forget to like it or rate it in whatever way you can. There's only a few episodes to go now, so don't forget to subscribe before you go as well. Above all, as always, thank you for listening. This was Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 15, Topiawari, and the War for Women. Goodbye.